let's say I'm successful. Let's say that project is fully built, let's say by the end of this year, early 2024, fully built. How would they take that down? Well, they could try lots of technical means. They could try hacking, of course. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to have very, very good security in place. But they could also just take me down. Mainstream media gives you the impression that there is nothing good about America. In direct contrast to that, my podcasts will prove by examples that America has always been and still is the land of opportunity for everyone. Hello, and welcome to another episode in the series Life Lessons with Dr. Bob. My guest today is Dr. Robert Epstein. Dr. Epstein is a highly accomplished man with many talents. His Wikipedia fills 12 pages. He's a psychologist, a professor, an author, and a journalist. We'll take them one at a time. With regard to psychology, he earned his Ph.D. in experimental psychology at Harvard University, which waived its Ph.D. requirements to write a dissertation because Epstein had already published numerous peer-reviewed papers in the field. With regard to teaching, he's held positions at several universities, including Boston University, Northeastern University, University of California in San Diego, and Harvard. With regard to writing and journalism, he was editor-in-chief of Psychology Today and has published 15 books and more than 350 papers and articles in academic journals and popular press, including Reader's Digest, The Washington Post, The Sunday Times, Good Housekeeping, Parenting, and The New York Times. Dr. Epstein is currently the senior research psychologist at the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology, which is a nonprofit that he founded in 2012. The Institute conducts research in behavioral science and seeks to understand the external forces that affect the ways that humans think and behave. Much of what we'll be discussing today is his current research on the subliminal effects of computer programs on people's behavior. According to Dr. Epstein, your feelings and your actions are being manipulated intentionally by search results without you being aware of it. After that rather lengthy but well-deserved introduction, I'm going to welcome Dr. Epstein to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. We've gotten to know each other over cocktails and cigars. So is it okay with you if I refer to you as Robert in today's discussion, or should I refer to you as Dr. Robert so <laughs> as to not be confused with Dr. Bob? Uh, Robert is fine. Most psychologists practice their trade in the laboratory or in the classroom. But unlike those, you are a very public figure in the world of psychology. I think that you are the only psychologist to ever have testified in front of the Senate. Tell us about your testimony on July 2019 to the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee on the Constitution. They asked me, actually, to talk about my research on Google, specifically. 
So I told them some things that uh, shocked at least a few of them. I told them that uh, Google has the power to uh, change people's thinking and behavior and attitudes and beliefs uh, and their votes. And they can do that on a massive scale without anyone being aware that they're being influenced by Google. Uh, and they can do this not just in the U.S., but they are very likely doing this in every country in the world outside of mainland China. So that was one part of my testimony. The other part was I actually made some suggestions, which I thought perhaps they could use uh, to take away some of the powers, the extraordinary powers that Google has. Uh, you know, will they ever actually do anything? Um, I doubt it. I doubt it. But there are some things that could be done. Well, in 2018, you coined the term the search suggestion effect, or SSE. The use of this effect is currently referred to as search engine manipulation. Give us some details about the search suggestion effect. And first, let's start with that. When you go to the Google search engine, which, by the way, you shouldn't do. So if you're doing that, don't do it anymore, please. Okay, just use Brave, uh, their browser, use their search engine. They don't, they don't uh, spy on you. Uh, Google search engine is a surveillance platform. From a business perspective, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. Now, it's true. We think it's a, it's a, it's a nice free index uh, like a, that's given to us by a kindly librarian, and it's going to lead us to the right information, just like a librarian would. But that's not really what it is. It's a, it's a surveillance platform that is designed to trick you into revealing personal information about yourself, and then that information is monetized. That's all it is. It's just trickery. Um, now, when you first go to the Google search engine and you start to type a search term, first thing that happens is, is they flash search suggestions at you. Mm -hmm. Well, those search suggestions, believe it or not, and this is what our research shows unequivocally, those search suggestions are there not to help you. They're there to manipulate you. So in research, we've shown that just by manipulating those quickly appearing search suggestions, they're, they're ephemeral. That's mm -hmm. the way Google describes them. They're ephemeral. They, they're fleeting. They, they flash in front of you. They affect you. Maybe you're going to click on one of them, and then they disappear. They're not stored anywhere. But we've shown in experiments that just by manipulating those search suggestions, we can turn a 50-50 split among undecided voters into a 90-10 split with no one having the slightest idea that they have been manipulated. Now, let's continue. Let's say you click on one of those search suggestions, which they want you to, believe me. Those, those are there to manipulate you. So give me you. an example. If you search for Hillary Clinton, and let's say this was before the 2016 election mm. on which... I, I've read you are an expert. So you uh, you typed in Hillary Clinton in the search bar. Right. So let's say you're typing Hillary Clinton and then you type is. Mm -hmm. And wow, lots of suggestions turn up. If you were on Bing, the Bing search engine or the Yahoo search engine, which virtually no one uses, uh, then you would get suggestions like, uh, well, Hillary Clinton is the devil. Hillary Clinton, Clinton is evil et cetera, et cetera. You'd actually get suggestions based on what people are actually searching for. 
On Google in the summer of 2016, if you typed in Hillary Clinton is, all they showed you was Hillary Clinton is winning and Hillary Clinton is awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, why would they show negative search suggestions on other other search engines? Yes, go ahead. Why would Google <clears throat> show negative suggestions for other candidates? For example, that summer, if you typed in Donald Trump is, among other things, you got Donald Trump is a horse in a hospital, uh, which uh, sounds a little creepy, but in fact, it's it's a it leads you to a web page that makes fun of Donald Trump. So why would they show negative suggestions for one candidate and positive for another? Because and you've seen this. You, you're well, we, not, this is not just theory. You've seen these results. Of course, we documented all of this. Mm -hmm. We have uh, screenshots of all of this and much more. The point is that there's a reason why they're doing that, because uh, we our research shows that when they show a negative search suggestion, it's like a cockroach in a salad. Mm -hmm. That's literally the way psychologists talk about this phenomenon, it's called negativity bias. And when they allow a negative search suggestion to appear, that draws a lot of attention. And it'll draw 10 to 15 times as many clicks as a neutral or positive search suggestion. So one of the simplest ways that they manipulate us is by suppressing negative search suggestions for candidates or people or causes that they support. Mm -hmm. but allowing those negatives to appear for other candidates, mm -hmm. other causes. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you click. Now, down below, they populate the page with search results. Now, now we're into another manipulation because the ordering of those search results we have shown, wow, has a tremendous impact on people's opinions if they're undecided, mm -hmm. if they're on the fence. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Well, people have learned to trust higher ranking search results. Mm -hmm. So they're much more likely to click. As a matter of fact, they don't go to, most people don't go to the second page. Uh, in fact, 95% of people only go to the first, first page, page. And on that page, 50% of all clicks go to the top two items. Mm. Google knows this. So the fact is, if they want to support one candidate or one cause, up at the top of the list, they're going to put a link that's going to take you to a web page that's going to be very positive about one candidate or I one see. cause. And lo and behold, we in a controlled experiments, we found that just by having biased search results, we could shift the opinions and the votes of undecided voters by 40% or more as much as 80% in some demographic groups. And I want to make, uh, I, I'm, pro I, I'm supposing that undecided voters are the ones who really decide the elections. Absolutely, especially in close elections. Mm -hmm. In fact, when you get close to uh, election day in a close election, that's where all the campaign money is going. Mm -hmm. Literally hundreds of millions of dollars. In toward a, the undecided toward voters. Toward the end, exactly. They're, they know where the swing states are, they know where the swing counties are, and they know who the swing voters are. Mm -hmm. And believe me, Google knows more than anything. They know exactly who those undecided voters are. And so they can apply tremendous pressure just to those voters. And believe me, those search results are extremely powerful. We've also shown in our experiments that you can mask what you're doing. You can mask the bias very simply. We've done this in our experiments so that you can produce 40% shifts or more in voting preferences without anyone having the slightest mm -hmm. idea that mm -hmm. they've just been manipulated. So programmers 
you believe at Google currently are actively taking advantage of the search suggestion effect by manipulating the search results to affect individuals' behavior? Well, whistleblowers have confirmed that this is true. Uh, leaked documents and videos have confirmed that this is true. But as a matter of fact, okay, I'm going to surprise you here a little bit. I I have come not to worry very much about that issue. In other words, does it really matter uh, why the bias is there? Was it a, a rogue employee? Mm -hmm. Was it a policy of the company? Was it a top executive? Uh, was it negligence? In other words, maybe they're just not paying attention to the algorithm, and the algorithm by nature is going to make some dog foods go to the top and others go to the bottom. There, in other words, the algorithm itself is is meant to prioritize. So in an election, even if you just left it alone, it's always going to put one candidate at the top and it's going to push mm -hmm. another one down. Mm -hmm. I, over the years, have come to believe it doesn't even matter why these biases occur. The fact is they do, and they shift a lot of votes. And in a national election in this country, they can easily shift between, well, I'll give you two real numbers, which I'll explain later if you'd like, but in a national election, the presidential election, let's say the 2024 election, Google alone can easily shift between 6.4 and 25.5 million votes mm -hmm. to one presidential candidate normally without anyone knowing that they have done this. Now, I say normally because I've been figuring out ways that, that we can figure that out and we, uh, figuring out ways we can stop them. But if you just left them alone, left them to their own devices, they can shift between 6.4 and 25.5 million votes in the presidential election in 2024. That's perhaps 10% of all the votes. Well, the, the point is it, it, it controls a big win margin. Huge. So. Now, I want to make it clear that um, uh, to the audience that uh, you are a left-leaning Democrat and that you actually voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. But nevertheless, you testified in, that in the months leading up to that election, big tech manipulated search results to control what people saw when they searched for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump and bias those results in favor of Clinton. So although you voted for Clinton and would be happy if she won, you still had the courage to come out and say that this is wrong. You know, I've, I've, I've heard people use the word courage with respect to what I've done. I don't feel courageous. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm just speaking the truth. I feel like I love the truth and I love this country more than I love any particular candidate or party, period. No, oh, that's patriotism. That's patriotism. And with with regard to the bias of votes, um, uh, the bias of individuals, so they'll vote a certain way, there were some whistleblowers who told you that there were conversations uh, at the upper level of Google talking about that they that Hillary Clinton lost that election. And what did they say? Well, there was a videotape that leaked. Uh, it's even better. Than even better. There's a videotape. Go ahead. There's a there's a all hands video meeting, or I should say, an all hands meeting that was videoed, and the whole tape uh, leaked from the company. And you had all the major leaders in the company, one after another, going up to that microphone and saying, "We are going to make sure that Trump 
never wins again, that nothing like this ever happens again. We are They're literally saying things like, we are going to use all of our power and influence to make sure that this never happens again. And we know from whistleblowers that they quickly got reorganized and put in place all kinds of techniques to make sure that they would shift a lot of votes to the Democrats, period. And I'll give you just one quick example because it's another leak. It's an amazing leak. Two-minute video leaked from that company in which Susan Wojcicki, who was for a long time until very recently the CEO of YouTube, which is owned by Google, two-minute video, she's talking to her employees and talking about So this is after the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. She's talking about how we're revising our YouTube algorithm Mm -hmm. to push up videos that we think are valuable and truthful and to push down videos that we think are not. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that's another area that we have done research on. If you go to youtubemanipulationeffect.com, you can actually see some of our latest research. And it turns out by manipulating that sequence by manipulating that video that turns up at the top and that plays next, Mm -hmm. if you don't do anything, it's called Mm -hmm. the up next video, Mm -hmm. they can easily shift 40% or more of the votes of undecided voters. So YouTube becomes another of Google's tools Mm -hmm. for shifting one heck of a lot of votes without anyone knowing that they're doing it. We all watch YouTube, and uh, for some reason you go there for to watch one video, but then to the right, of course, are other suggested videos. And what they're doing, uh, you're claiming what they're doing, what you, you've proven, is the ones that are up next or the ones that they show you are aligned with their political philosophy and not necessarily at random. Well, here again, there's that illusion, though, that they maintain so beautifully because they convince all of us, not me, but they convince most of us, I should say, that all that content they're giving you is just for you. They have your interests in mind. Uh-huh. That is not true. They have their interests in mind. And believe me, they exercise all of the power that they can exercise, just as they swore they would. They exercise tremendous power around the world to shift people's thinking and behavior in ways they want to. I'll give you one more example here of another leak. An eight-minute video leaked from that company. Which uh, company? YouTube from, or Google? From Google, from their, <clears throat> their advanced products division. They call it their X division, and it's called the Selfish Ledger. Uh, if you go online and look up the Selfish Ledger and my name, you'll get a transcript of the film, and there's also a link to where you can see it now. Once it leaked, you know, some people made copies of it so that it can't be erased. And wow, this eight-minute video from Google's advanced product division says, we have the power, this was never meant to be seen outside the company, but it says, we have the power to re-engineer humanity. yes well and it specifically says according to company values i'm not making this up it's actually in there they actually use the phrase company values not american values but company company values values. no they're not they're not interested in america Mm -hmm. they're they see themselves as worldwide saviors of humanity this is frightening Truly frightening. Now, you've written, recently published a monograph, Google's Triple Threat to Democracy, 
our children, and to our minds. What is Google's triple threat? Well, you know, some people who who kind of begin to hear the message I'm giving or look at some of my research, they'll think, okay, this is all about elections. They're all about elections. Mm -hmm. But it's more than that. They're all about influence. They're all about control. And how do they exercise that control? Very, very broadly. So we've also done experiments which don't involve elections at all, but involve the Google search engine simply kind of promoting certain ideas. Let's say about fracking is one mm -hmm. of the topics we've explored. Mm -hmm. Sexual orientation is another one. So we have shown in those experiments that they, they can shift people's thinking where people are undecided about anything, mm -hmm. about anything at all. So in Google's triple threat, I'm talking about the threat to democracy, sure, because they do influence elections, but also it's the threat to the human mind, to human autonomy. And most concerning of all, to me as a parent of five kids, is a threat to our children because this company is indoctrinating young children. And so this is our newest research area. We're just starting to collect data now from children and teens and we are finding some creepy things, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I admit this, uh, that we don't even understand what we're seeing. This, the material we're finding is so surprising and so weird. Well, can you give us examples to make it concrete so I can understand it better? Sure, sure. I, I don't want to. I don't want to upset your audience, though. But I'll. No, I'll, please. All right. But, please. Okay. We're, so we're let's adults say, here. Let's say you're, you're a parent. And you have a six-year-old, and the six-year-old, of course, you're using a, an iPad or something like a babysitter. Your six-year-old is sitting there watching cartoons that are streaming from YouTube. And, of course, YouTube doesn't stop, right? In other words, it just keeps putting, giving you the next right. one, the next one, doesn't the next one. Doesn't wait to be prompted. And, in fact, Google admits 70% of the videos that people watch on YouTube around the world are suggested by their up-next algorithm. Mm -hmm. Think of that power. So you walk by, your child is watching a cartoon. You don't, you, you might glance at it for a few seconds. You don't see anything particularly odd. Uh, although the characters you may not recognize, you know, something. It's not Bugs Bunny. Not Bugs Bunny, definitely not. So you might see, you're definitely seeing cartoons. And you don't see anything disturbing. It might be a little... There might be something that's a little off that catches your eye, but you're not sure what it is. So you walk by and that's that. But your child keeps watching. And at some point or other, right in the middle of the cartoon, boom, someone's head explodes. Or someone's head gets chopped off. Or someone's body falls into pieces. Or Now, it only lasts uh, a half a second or a second. I mean, it's very quick. And then it goes back to what it was before. So it wasn't part of the story. Like uh, the Roadrunner is always getting blown up. You don't mean that. Oh, no, it's definitely not part. In fact, it's shocking and surprising when it occurs. Now, it turns out that on YouTube, if you know what you're doing, if you scroll over the bottom yes. margin there, the bottom border of the video, you can actually see the frequency with which the frames have been viewed. And you're going to find a spike a big spike right at that point where that head explodes, 
which means that kids are playing those disturbing images over and over and over again.、Hmm. And Google is dishing up those videos, and they know full well that they contain these disturbing images, and they're dishing them up by the millions.、Now、what would be the purpose of that? Well, here again, I now I get to play. Speculate. I, I get to play psychologist. Right. Well, we're back to the cockroach and the salad phenomenon because、uh, there is a phenomenon that's been studied. I'm thinking six or seven different fields called negativity bias.、Mm -hmm. For good, sound evolutionary reasons, we pay more attention to negatives.、Mm -hmm. We pay more attention.、Mm -hmm. To things out there that might be a threat,、mm -hmm. and that makes sense. That makes sense. So if I indeed I put a cockroach in the middle of someone's salad, it ruins the whole salad, and they send the salad back, and right, no question about it. Now imagine there's a plate of sewage in front of somebody, and I put a nice piece of C's candy right in the middle. Does that help the sewage?、Mm -hmm. No, it makes no difference at all. But a little negative, a、mm -hmm. little negative like that. It draws attention. It draws clicks. So that's why you would show kids these strange videos that have these very dark and very quick moments in them, because that is the way you addict them to that platform. That's one of the tricks that's used for addiction,、hmm. and that's the most important measure that they use. They call it watch time. That's the most important measure that they use of the success of any platform now is watch time. That's the key. So, now having said that, I can tell you though that there's a lot we don't even begin now to understand、mm -hmm. about what's being shown on YouTube. We do know it's been well documented that YouTube has caused a lot of people to go down these rabbit holes, to become white supremacists, to become Muslim radicals. That's often happened when people are just sucked in、mm -hmm. and then drawn to a sequence of videos that get darker and darker and darker. It has changed people's lives. It has created murderers、mm -hmm. uh, from nothing. So, what's happening with the kids? That's a very that's our very newest study area. It's going to take us a while. Okay, look, we figured out the search suggestions. We figured out the search results, answer boxes. We figured that out. We're 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 going step by step here. It's been eleven years of、uh, very rigorous research. We're going to figure out the YouTube videos, and I'm telling you now, <laughs> people are not going to be happy with what we find.、Mm -hmm. Getting back to the search suggestions, uh, uh, of course, I've experienced that. I I went and typed in、um, uh, global warming, and everything on that first page that came up. Were affirming global warming. There was no indication. I went to the second page, third page. Every single、uh, article or URL that it gave me was about a scientist talking about the threat of global warming. That it's、uh, that it's in,、uh, not controversial. That it's settled science. Whereas you and I know that global warming is not settled science, and certainly、uh, the the effect of humans or carbon on global warming is argumentative. You know, you and I probably would have some differences of opinion on global warming, but on on one thing we can both agree. I'm sure we don't want a private company like Google that is in no 
manner, shape, or form accountable to the public. Right. We don't want them deciding what millions, what billions of people around the world can see and cannot mm -hmm. see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this happened during COVID too, of course. Right. Well, that's that's what I'm saying. That's the problem. The talk problem about that, talk about COVID because that's on. Sure. You know, that's that's more recent than the uh, Clinton um, uh, Trump election. Talk about COVID and uh, what you saw on the web. Sure. <clears throat> well, first of all, full disclosure: I was actually working uh, with people on Trump's coronavirus task force uh, because I had a solution to the COVID problem that did not involve vaccines and would allow the society to reopen immediately, no lockdowns. Uh, and I published five or six articles about it in 2020. Uh, I was working with the Coronavirus Task Force starting in early 2020 and uh, eventually published a, a, a very good, a rigorous piece in a peer-reviewed journal, which has mathematical model. I mean, it, it turned into very serious science. And, and a lot of people now are taking this plan very seriously. So the plan we call Carrier Separation Plan, or CSP, it's very simple on its on its surface. You just test everyone. Doesn't even have to be a particularly accurate test. It turns out you test everyone, and the people who quarantine for just three weeks are the people who are carrying the virus. So wait a minute. So you test, and if those who test positive are That's quarantined, right. and there are very few. Now, in twenty twenty, there were very few people actually carrying the virus. Mm. So if you put those people aside, either if they have a place, fine. If they don't and they want to give up their privacy, they can call in, we'll get them a hotel room. If they want to be paid, we'll pay them for three weeks. Mm -hmm. But the point is, you separate those people. You don't separate out the elderly people or the vulnerable people or anything like that. You just separate out the carriers. Mm -hmm. As soon as you separate out most- Which, of course, the governor of uh, New York did not do. He took the people who tested positive and placed them uh, among the elderly in, in um, uh, elderly care facilities, which was a, uh, uh, a terrible thing to do because those are the people who, can, would, would, who, who suffered the highest death rate. Well, if you do such a thing, of course, it's going to spread fast among vulnerable people, right. and then you get a very high death rate there, of course. But so good, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you, you test everyone who's ever positive, isolate. But only for three weeks, not for six months, yeah. Yeah. because it's, it only takes that long for their immune system to kill the mm -hmm. virus. In a very small number of cases, some people will pass away, of course. But the point is, the virus stops spreading. Mm -hmm. That's what happens with CSP, the carrier separation plan. The virus stops spreading so that when a few within a few months' time, you've eradicated the virus from the entire population. I was dealing with that task force. A, tr a speech was written for Trump. At some point, it was sitting on the desk of his head speechwriter. All he had to do was go up to a microphone. And say, this is what we're going to do. Say we're gonna, and he was going to announce a particular date in I think November or something of 2020, which happened to be the 400th anniversary of the day the Mayflower set sail for America. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it would have been a very patriotic day. And he's going to say, we're all going to get tests together on this day. Uh, Melania is going to do it. My kids, every member of Congress, uh, you it. know, celebrities, right. we're all going to test. And if you're positive, then you just have to quarantine for three three weeks, but that same day, we're going to reopen up all of society. Mm -hmm. The churches, the businesses, the schools, everyone's going to reopen because the carriers, most of them, have Are been isolated. isolated. That's how you do it. He would have gone down in history as one of the greatest presidents ever. He would have saved millions of lives. 
But in July of 2020, unfortunately, he got it into his head that vaccines, he could get the vaccines out before the November election, that would guarantee him the win. And all of the money went to vaccines, mm. all the resources went to vaccines. And I got on July 15th of 2020, I got a message from my contact on the Coronavirus Task Force in the White House saying, we're so sorry, but we're abandoning your plan. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, you have no idea how frustrating that was for me because I knew I knew what a good plan this mm. was and still is, by the way. It's, speaking, it's being taken seriously by a lot of people. It can be used in the future to fight other pandemics, obviously. The point is that what was, what was happening with big tech? Because that's the question you raised originally. Big tech and big pharma those are the two big industries that benefited from this virus. So big Pharma, obviously, hundreds of billions of dollars just poured into their laps, but it was big tech also that benefited. So that's why big tech was spreading fear. They were spreading fear. And, and, and they said, you, and you've got to run and get the vaccine. And big tech was doing everything possible to make us afraid and if you were doing searches on Google, for example, that's what the searches were telling you. Well, not just big tech, but the media also. The media they went were along. promoting how many deaths every day, the number of deaths. Exactly. Just like the, during the Vietnam War. And so that's, we were in mm -hmm. wartime all of a sudden. Now, why would big tech do this? Why would big tech go along with this? I was going to ask you that. Because, number one, with people, millions, tens of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people at home, they got a lot more traffic, which yep. makes them money, uh -huh. more uh -huh. watch time. But there's another reason too. It got these companies access to our medical data. They got direct access to hospital data all over the country. And that's something they had been yearning for because the more data they have about you, the more they can monetize that data. I thought there was a law, the HIPAA law or something, that kept uh, all your medical data private. I didn't realize Normally, that Big Tech got access to it. That's right. All the, these exceptions that were being made for, oh. for vaccines that were not even approved, they just had, had emergency authorization. Every Exceptions were made to all of the safeguards that were in place regarding know. medical data. And... Google got access to all of our medical data. I had no idea. Absolutely. And the Google, you know, you probably knew or I don't know if you knew or not, but Google at one point bought Fitbit a few years ago because that gave us gave them access to physiological data. Google has been investing a, a great deal of money in DNA repositories. Google not only has strong connections with 23andMe, which was founded by the wife of one of Google's founders. It also has strong connections, I learned recently, with Ancestry.com, mm. which is supposedly run by the Mormon church, except Ancestry.com is run in conjunction with Google. It's a partnership. That gives them DNA data. Mm. Now, if you have DNA data and you have medical data, that means you can look ahead. You can look at someone's future and figure out what diseases they're susceptible to what diseases they're likely to come down with in the future, and you can monetize the heck out of information like that. Mm -hmm. DNA data, think about it. Uh, what could be possibly be more valuable if you're thinking about mm -hmm. um, monetizing information? If you're right, and I think you are, uh, about uh, the evils of big tech um, and their influence that's hidden from us, 
Uh, don't you worry about exposing uh, them? Uh, don't you worry? Uh, perhaps you're not worried about being assassinated, uh, a la Jeffrey Epstein, about being a target. Uh, but you're certainly a target for their scorn, for their ridicule, and for deplatforming. Yes. Well, they, they did at one point completely remove me from Google News. And then about a year later, they they put put me back. Mm-hmm. You know, they have meetings. They're just people. They make decisions. Uh, leadership changes. Uh, in 2019, so a lot went wrong for me in 2019. This was before COVID. Uh, but that's when I testified before Congress. It also happened to be when I did a private briefing for a bunch of state AGs. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 I told them all kinds of <laughs> information. I told them about our research and what we were finding. And some of it is really quite frightening. And afterwards, I went out in the hall, and one of these guys came out. I know exactly who it was. He's still an AG. And he came out and he said, uh, Dr. Epstein, I don't mean to scare you. He said, but based on what you told us, he said, I think you're going to be killed in some sort of accident in the next few months. This was the attorney general for a state Correct. in the United States. And we just told- been through this briefing right. I had given. So, And he wasn't speculating that, like I'm speculating, that, that somebody might be after you. He said you they are people. He said, I think you will be killed in some sort of accident sometime in the next few months. Now, obviously, Ooh. I wasn't killed, but my wife was. Ooh, frightening. Frightening. She was killed or she she died in an accident? Give us a little more detail about that. She died in a horrific accident, which had some suspicious elements to it. And the little pickup truck she was driving, which got impounded, of course... I was never examined forensically and disappeared mysteriously from the impound yard. I was told it had gone to Mexico somewhere. Frightening. Please continue about uh, uh, the concerns that you have and the uh, events that, that, that have occurred uh, that uh, indicate that people are uh, very upset with, uh, with uh, the work that you're doing to expose big tech. Well, you asked me specifically whether, you know, I feared for my safety. And the honest truth is, yes, I do fear for my safety because what happened to my wife, first of all. But there have been other incidents, too. I'm just going to give you one more. I don't really want to, I don't want to, I don't want to get my my friends, my family, my staff, you know, uh, upset. So I'll, but I'll give you one more example. Uh, last year, so that would be 2022, our managing director, who was fabulous and had been with us for quite a while. In the Institute. In and, institute. Yes, the Institute. And uh, she and her husband, who was very, very handsome man, I was jealous of him because he was so handsome. Uh, they're walking in downtown San Diego, which uh, is relatively safe. I mean, it's not as bad as, let's say, San Francisco, let's say. Uh, it's relatively safe, and it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. A man comes out of the blue, pulls a knife, slits her husband's face from his ear down to his mouth, then looks at my staff member, looks her straight in the eye, and laughs and runs away. Mm. You know, the first thing that popped into her head was Google. Now, her husband will never be the same. Never. 
I mean, the, 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 he cut through nerves. And, you know, I, I saw him just a few months ago. And, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's still a good-looking man, but he'll never look the same as he did, never. And, you know, he's had multiple surgeries. I think he's got more coming. Frightening. And, you know, two or three months later, she was gone. And I don't blame her. I don't blame her at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, was that a, another warning? Uh, we'll never know. How would you know? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't, it's not like uh, mm-hmm. someone at Google gets on the phone and says mm-hmm. to some bad guy, do this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. You know, they work through so-called security firms and the security Cutouts. firm gets an outsider and the outsider mm-hmm. gets a buddy. And, you know, there's so many layers uh, that you could never- Well, we do know that people who have lots of information uh, are at risk. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein did not commit suicide. I mean, there was no reason. Uh, as a matter of fact, they, they claim he committed suicide twice. He uh, failed the first time. But why would an individual, a wealthy, powerful individual, who had not actually ever been tried for a crime yet, he wasn't tried or sentenced, why would he commit suicide? So, um, unfortunately, in our society, maybe perhaps in many societies, uh, uh, there's evil, and those evil forces are at work against true patriots and against people who are um, uh, who are expressing uh, and detailing the facts that they know. Well, let me answer your question a completely different way. Uh, let's say that the project I'm working on now, which we haven't discussed yet, but let's say the project I'm working on now, uh, which could stop these tech companies, it could stop Google from interfering in our elections, it could stop them from indoctrinating our children. Let's say I'm successful. Let's say that project is fully built, let's say by the end of this year, early 2024, fully built. How would they take that down? Well, they could try lots of technical means. They could try hacking, of course. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to have very, very good security in place. But they could also just take me down. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they don't actually kill me, they, all they have to do is hook up with one of the big PR firms in New York and then pull out of nowhere, you know, three 12-year-olds right. who said I raped right. them. Right. Now, the the fact that- 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. The fact that there's no truth would in, that, in such allegations would make no difference at all. Makes no difference. Once the allegations are made, you're sunk. Mm-hmm. All they have to do is undermine my credibility. Mm-hmm. That would undermine the credibility of, of the, the project. Work. Of the work. Of the work. Let's move on to a related uh, but a different topic, artificial intelligence or AI. I recently viewed a video of a very heartfelt speech by Florida's governor, Ron DeSantis. Maybe you saw that too. In that video, he explained why he was withdrawing from the 2024 presidential race. The only problem was that that never happened. The video was a deep fake. Now, you have expertise in both computer science and in psychology. In addition to manipulating the way people vote, what are the dangers of AI in the future? AI could be humankind's salvation. That's a possibility. Uh, Or it could destroy us. And one of the people who used to say that the latter was more likely was the the brilliant physicist Stephen Hawking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Elon Musk has expressed concern uh, about 
how the dangers the dangers of AI about the dangers of AI exactly, and the fact is I've I've always said uh, in, in in when it was even when I published on AI in a book I did on artificial intelligence mm-hmm. uh, years ago, I said that the the truth is what the future of uh, of AI is unknowable because uh, we are we'll cross a line uh, almost certainly within the next ten years. Uh, probably, I would say within the next seven years, we're going to cross a line. We're not there yet, but we're going to cross a line where AIs uh, become, uh, in some sense, truly intelligent. The the AIs that exist now are not. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. they they look like they they're intelligent, to be, yeah. appear, but they're not at all. Mm-hmm. They're they're as they're about as smart as doorknobs, really. But we're going to cross a line, and then when that line gets crossed. Actually, no one really knows what will happen next because those AIs could obliterate obliterate humanity very easily, like you see in movies like The Terminator. It's one possible future. Mm-hmm. They could enslave us. They could decide to work with us in some fashion, but they're not going to be like us. It's going to be a different kind of intelligence. The fact is, no one really knows. They could also do what happens at the end. So here's a spoiler. What happens at the end of a movie called Her which you may have heard of, at the end of the movie, the the smart AI just goes away. It's just, it's bored with humanity, so it just disappears. We don't know where it goes. That's how the movie ends. No one really knows. But my concern in the near future is how companies like Google and Facebook and Amazon and Twitter, how they're going to be using AI because they can use AI in ways that people just don't understand. If you see a deep fake, for example, mm-hmm. of Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. that could affect your opinion of Ron DeSantis. How are you going to know in 2024 which uh, recordings, which videos which are, real, are real and which, which are, are not? Which, no, not <clears throat> just video, but audio too. You're, how are you going to know which is real and which mm-hmm. is not? 2024 is going to be the first election in which there is going to be rampant confusion caused by the ability that AI has to simulate humanity, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. Uh, visually mm-hmm. and uh, auditorially. Yeah, in this video of Dron DeSantis, his motions, everything was very normal. His lips were synced directly to his voice, and it was his voice. It was his face. It I didn't know it was a deep fake until I started sending it out. And my son, who's younger than me, of course, said, Dad. That's a deep fake. All right. Now, let me tell you a little bit of good news, though, when it comes to these deep fakes. The only good news I have for you there, because remember, I, I've already warned you and your, your audience, I've, I'm warning everyone that 2024 is going to be the year when deep fakes are going to cause tremendous confusion. Nothing can stop that. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of good news. Um, techniques like deploying deep fakes to confuse people or to change their opinion, they're inherently competitive. Now, think about that. You uh, support one candidate, I support another. You buy a billboard, I buy another billboard. You buy a TV commercial, I buy two TV commercials. You use AI Mm -hmm. to shift some opinions and votes. I can use AI to shift opinions and votes. So the only bit of good news I have for everyone is that the use of AI to manipulate people, that is an inherently competitive activity. Now, 
No, not necessarily, because although you could create the deep fakes, yeah. each side can create them, the, it's up to the media or the people who control the internet, in this case, Google and YouTube, to to determine which ones you're going to see. You I may, was just right? going to get to that. That's the bad news. That's the, the bad, bad news. The bad news is, is that one of these big media companies, one of these big information platforms, if they support one candidate or one party then you're sunk mm -hmm. because they're going to determine how many people watch each video. Right. And what videos they get to see and what videos get exactly. suppressed. Exactly. That's where the problem lies. That's why I've been working on building what I call it America's Digital Shield. That's why I've been working. I have a staff of nearly 50 people working on this. Uh, that's why we're we're trying to build a system that will stop these companies from doing that, from manipulating us on a massive scale. So I have come to believe over the 11 years that I've been researching these things, that in fact, we are not completely helpless. There are some things we can do to stop these companies. Okay, give us an example. For example, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, other search engines that uh, that you would prefer to use other than Google. What, what are they? I've no, I haven't heard of them. Well, the one I at the moment that I like the best is is a new search engine that's put out by Brave. And Brave also has a browser. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. instead of using Chrome, yes. which is a surveillance platform, <clears throat> mm -hmm. if you use Brave, it works just like Chrome. It's even faster than Chrome, but it suppresses all advertisements. That's advantage number one. And number two, it doesn't track anything you're doing. I see. If you're using Chrome, every single thing you do is tracked and monetized and used to manipulate you ultimately. Mm -hmm. If you use Brave, nothing is tracked. Now, you're, do I have to use a Brave browser in order to use a search engine? Well, you can go direct to the search engine at search.brave.com. You don't Ooh, have to use the interesting. browser. Interesting. But if you use the browser Brave, yes. then the, their search engine just Comes works with it. automatically. <gasps> Fantastic. So there are things you can do to protect yourself. If you want a, a quick introduction to how to protect yourself, you go to myprivacytips.com. That's an article I wrote, which begins as follows. I have not received a targeted ad on my mobile phone or my computer since 2014. That's how I start. And by the way, just a few days ago, I updated this article, which I first published in 2017, but now it's fully up to date. So you go to myprivacytips.com, you can learn how to protect yourself. But beyond that, I have come up with ways that we can protect our elections and protect our kids and stop these companies from messing with our lives. Very important research, very important. Uh, you, I know you've told us, told me, that we're basically under constant surveillance. If Correct. you have a cell phone, describe what happens with your cell phone wherever you go. Well, my cell phone is no, not you. Not you. Right. <laughs> my cell phone is a secure phone, so it doesn't do these. But uh, the cell phones everyone else has—they uh, listen to everything you're saying. They transmit that. So it's wait a minute. Say that again. The phone is off, and it's in your pocket or in your shirt, in your pocketbook. Although it's off, what has happened? The microphone is still working. Well, first of all, you and I are old enough so that we remember just a few years ago when you could take the battery out of your right. phone. Right, you could take the battery out and then it can't work. Right, now they soldered in the battery mm. so the battery, the phones are never off, never. You think they're off, but they're not off. 
and they're constantly surveilling you. They're they're surveilling your location, which is extremely uh, informative about people. You know where you're going and how long you're spending at each location. And they listen. They listen to all the sounds. They listen to everything you say, and they transmit that. So all that information is being captured. Uh, and this is this is well known. It's not just the theory. Let, let's talk about the position. So um, if you were to go out, the phone. You think the phone's off. You you swipe right, swipe left, or whatever. Turned it off, and then you go about town to shop at different places. Then what? How does that data? If the phone is off, how does it get transmitted to uh, to the uh, to Google or to to uh, to the to the cloud? Because the moment that you reconnect to the cloud or your mobile service provider, all that information is instantly uploaded. Uh, Tucker so the Carlson information is recorded while whether the phone's on or off. Let's say it's off. It's being recorded. Your positional, the GPS or what store you went to is is being recorded, and then when you reconnect. To the uh, to the web or 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 to the cellular network, that information about where you were goes somewhere. Well, it's going if it's an Android phone, it's going to Google. It goes to Google. Yeah, all those Android phones, those are surveillance devices. Uh, you asked me whether this is widely known. It's widely known among experts. It's also known by the courts because the courts, for example, uh, in one famous case. Uh, they, uh, the prosecution subpoenaed uh, the recorded uh, information from Amazon. Amazon owns Alexa, and of course, there are a lot. There are millions of homes that have, that have the Alexa device in there. And you say, Alexa, play such and such a piece of music. But Alexa is always listening. Mm -hmm. And so, in this case, the court subpoenaed the, a record of. Uh, what they believed was do domestic violence, mm -hmm. and in fact, they got the recording, and they had the whole the whole fight, and the and the husband abusing the wife. All of that was recorded by Alexa. Mm. No one told Alexa to do it. It just does it all by That's itself. That's what they do. Sure. So, and all that information is recorded and stored. There's yeah. enough memory to store everything that everybody is doing, basically. Well, it's incredible. again, you have to just look at a graph and you'll see what, what's happened to the cost of memory. It yes. just drops and drops and drops and drops and drops. So memory has gotten so cheap that, yes, they can record everything. And they do compression. There's a lot of tricks. Sure. Yeah. So how do you protect yourself then, your phone, your security, your, your privacy? Well, I have a special phone. For one thing, uh, it, it, the the phones that my staff has, we 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 make we make them ourselves basically. But if you want to start to learn about secure phones, you can go to a website which is degoogled. So it's like Google with a D at the end mm -hmm. and then a D E in the front. Degoogled.com, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and uh, they sell phones which they have. De-Googled, they've taken Google out of Android, mm -hmm. and they've put in a different operating system which protects privacy. Uh, you know, these phones don't have all the capabilities of the phones you've gotten used to, so you make a little sacrifice, but you know what you get back? Mm -hmm. You get back your, your privacy. Privacy. But also, I, I suppose there must be cases or, hard, or, or holsters uh, that uh, keep the information secure. Is that correct? Are there such things? Well, there, there, there are boxes you can get. Oh, I was going to bring you a box. I still owe you a box. That's right. I have one for you. But there are boxes you can get that if you put phones into it, 
it 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 blocks all the electromagnetic radiation going in and out of the box. Those are called Faraday boxes or Faraday bags. I know when I visited the White House a couple of years ago, everyone was told to put their phone into this into a little holster case. Correct, right? And it so, might have been for that purpose. Right. We have a lot of that stuff at the institute where I do my mm-hmm. research and uh, once sometimes we have meetings, everyone has to drop their phones into the uh, our Faraday box. We have some very nice Faraday boxes, and I owe you one. I promise I'm going to get you one. So the point is that uh, there are things you can do. You can on on when you're online instead of using Google.com, you can use the the Brave, Brave. search I'll, engine, I'll mm-hmm. the Brave browser, which is at Brave.com. Uh, you can for email instead of using Gmail, which oh my God, you should never use Gmail. Gmail is not like the United States Postal Service. So the United States Postal Service, by law, it has- Cannot read your mail. It can't read your mail, number one. And number two, it has to deliver your mail. Mm -hmm. Uh, Google can read your mail. It reads every single email that you type. It even reads the drafts, those crazy drafts that you decided not to send. You're saying, I'm not going to send that. Wow, that's crazy that I wrote that. They already have a copy of it. That goes right into your personal profile. All the drafts. Now, if you didn't send it, how does the uh, how do they get the draft? They're getting it as you type. Just like with search suggestions, as you're typing a search term, they know what you're typing. So the same is true with Gmails. When you start to type, they're they're receiving every single character that you type. I had no idea. They have no obligation to, to deliver your mail. They often suppress email. They sometimes even change email. Uh, last year, the Republican Party sued Google because Google was diverting tens of millions of emails that the Republican Party was sending to its constituency. And Google, and Google wasn't sending them. No, it was sending them into spam boxes. Now, here comes the problem. Their case was thrown out of court because they didn't have enough data to prove that this was occurring. That is why... Since 2016, my team and I have been building monitoring systems. We've been building systems mm. that do to Google what they do to us and our kids and our grandkids 24 hours a day. We have learned how to track the content that they are sending or not sending mm. to millions of people. We've gotten better and better at doing it. In 2016, we were able to preserve 13,000 ephemeral experiences, the kind of experiences that affect us every day and then disappear and they're normally lost forever. We preserved 13,000 searches on Google, Bing, and Yahoo and 100,000 web pages to which the search results linked. We were able to compute bias to see if there's any bias in the search results. Mm -hmm. We found pro-Hillary Clinton bias in all 10 search results on the first page of Google results, but not on Bing or Yahoo. So this really was a Google thing. Mm -hmm. 2018, Mm -hmm. we built a bigger system, skipping ahead to 2020, because we built a system there where we didn't have just 95 field agents. We had 1,735 field agents in four swing states. So we're monitoring big tech content through the computers of 1,735 registered voters. And we're, we accumulated not a few thousand ephemeral experiences. We preserved more than 1.5 million ephemeral experiences. Mm-hmm. 
And we analyzed the data to see if there was any bias on Google and other platforms. Did we find it? You bet. Mm -hmm. Enough bias on Google to have shifted tens of millions of votes in the 2020 election and to have shifted more than 6 million votes to Joe Biden. Without Google in that election, Donald Trump would have won 11 out of 13 swing states, not five. Mm. And the popular vote would have been very, very close. And he, he would have won the Electoral College easily. You take Google out, and that's what would have happened. 2022, we built an even bigger system, and now we're able to calculate quite precisely what happens if you take Google out. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, I'm, I'm glad you're doing these studies and giving us the data, but unfortunately, the horse has left the barn, uh, right? Can't go back and, uh, and reverse the results of the election. Now, tell me, you've done some YouTube videos. Do they re- remain up or do they uh, take them down or do they just push them uh, so the people uh, don't see them on the front page? What they do is they get uh, demoted uh, in various ways I so see. that fewer and fewer people see them. So what we started doing actually in recent months is taking all the content we have on YouTube and we're moving it over to a different platform. Now, on the other platform, yes, we have to pay, pay a few bucks a month, mm-hmm. but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, it for example, up. we don't use Gmail. We use ProtonMail, which mm-hmm. is based in Switzerland, subject to very strict Swiss privacy laws. Do we have to pay? Yeah, we pay a few bucks a month, and it's absolutely worth it I because see. Proton protects your privacy. It encrypts all the emails so that even Proton can't read them. Ooh. Uh, on our phones, we use Signal for texting. Mm-hmm. We don't use uh, the regular texting because Any anyone chat or WhatsApp. That's not that's that is that is not private. Mm-hmm. So we use Signal, which is run by a nonprofit organization. Again, they use encryption. They protect your privacy. There are alternatives. There are alternatives. Well, people have to learn about them. Yeah. Our final topic today is a fun one: sexuality. A recently revealed letter from 1982 from Barack Obama to his girlfriend quotes him as saying that he's had thoughts, many thoughts, of having sex with men. Now, you've written, Robert, that upwards of 90% of the population is attracted to both sexes at some point. That is to say that they are bisexual, at least like Obama, in their minds. You contend that a large percentage of the population would act bisexually except for the enormous social pressure that makes them identify as straight and act as straight. It's an interesting but controversial claim. What data do you have to support it? If people go to carry, excuse me, to social pressure, you just mentioned social pressure, socialpressuretheory.com, they can get to my latest peer-reviewed article, which is published in a very distinguished uh, journal. And you'll see a study there with nearly 1.2 million people in 215 countries and territories around the world. And our data speak for themselves. Our data are consistent with what Sigmund Freud said throughout his career, with what Alfred Kinsey said, uh, and many other experts have said for more than 100 years, uh, that... uh, 
heterosexuality is not actually natural for human beings. Mm. That some mm. sort of bisexuality uh, that might change throughout life is probably natural. Uh, chimpanzees, a lot of them are bisexual. And then we have another close relative. It's called the bonobo, with which we share the same percentage of our genes as we do with chimps. All bonobos are bisexual, all of them. And again, that's our closest genetic relative along with the chimp. All bonobos are bisexual. You mean people have observed, I don't know these bonobos, they look like apes or gorillas or monkeys or chimps. They or look like small chimps. Yeah. Small chimps. They've observed them having sex, bise uh, uh, homosexual sex. Yes, and not only that, they're very peaceful. Uh, chimpanzees are very, very brutal sometimes. They Sometimes they will literally tear a member of their, their little uh, band to shreds, literally. Uh, but the bonobos are very peaceful, so they have almost no conflict with each other. They settle conflicts with sex. <laughs> yeah. Now, well, that's an interesting proposition. <clears throat> so in this paper, if again, if people go to socialpressuretheory.com, mm -hmm. you can actually read the theory. It's a formal, serious theory. It's a mathematical theory. Uh, we've got beautiful graphs in there, if you like graphs. And basically what, what we're theorizing is that because of social pressure, social pressure takes these normal tendencies and it pushes and keeps pushing and keeps mm -hmm. pushing until the curve is distorted. And we end up with a lot of people at least saying that they're heterosexual, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. More than 90% usually say that they're heterosexual, but that doesn't often fit their behavior. And they have periods in their lives where they kind of Mm -hmm. Doubt themselves and How worry. How interesting! Yeah, and in one of the papers that uh, that you have has data to support that. In other words, they must have asked people confidentially, you right. know, or things. Well, like we that. we don't just have data. We've conducted now and published recently the largest sexual orientation study ever conducted in the history of the world. Again, it's it's nearly 1.2 million people in our how study. Did you, I, 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 how can you possibly have, I, I got to be skeptical, <laughs> how can you possibly have had a million or over 100,000 people in any study? Uh, give me some background. How did you find the people? How did you interview? It, it's, I don't believe it. I have to say, I just, I'm skeptical. Well, I do a lot of research uh, online. Uh, so I post questionnaires of various sorts online. Okay. And okay. so at this point in time, I think I have uh, maybe 60 of them. I think maybe 40 of them are in English, and then there's a bunch of translations. And they're on different kinds of topics. So we have one online that's at mysexualorientation.com. I see. So and people can go there and fill out the form uh, anonymously, so long as they're not going to mail it by uh, Gmail. Anonymously is the key. Yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of research showing now that people are much more honest about socially sensitive issues if they can go online and fill out a questionnaire anonymously. Honest, yeah, all of, of a sudden, they're tremendously honest, whereas normally they hide. They hide behind whatever the social standards are. That makes sense. That of makes course it makes sense. Of course it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of research just on that issue, just on the fact that, again, people will kind of be remarkably, remarkably open and honest because of the internet, because mm -hmm. the internet allows people. I can tell you a little, a little anecdote actually that goes way back before there was an internet. 
I was friends with a guy named Joe Weizenbaum. Joe Weizenbaum, professor at MIT, he invented the first conversational program. It was called Eliza. Mm-hmm. It's still out there. I remember it. You can still you, you can still access Eliza. So uh, Joe told me this crazy story. He's walking back to his office, and his uh, he sees his secretary there at a, at the clunky old compu- computer terminal he had in his office. And she and he walks in, nothing wrong with that, right? And she goes, no, no, get out, get out. I'm having a private conversation. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm talking to Eliza. Oh. <laughs> so he left. But the point is, yes, people think if they're talking just to a computer, see, they think that, that, that what they're doing now is completely private and they can Anonymous. say things that they wouldn't say to their best friend. Oh. And so that's what we took advantage of in this big study, this, this huge study on sexual orientation. And the results Fantastic. are- Fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to read that. That, uh, that uh, surprises me. And I never heard about the bonobos. That's, I, I that's was rather interesting. Right. And they're very close to humans, as you say. They, we share uh, many, many uh, uh, DNA characteristics. Exactly. And, and, you know, I was surprised too. Just as you were just surprised, I was surprised by our findings as well. And that's why I love doing research, because we keep making discoveries. And we're making new discoveries. We're making discoveries even right now, even within the last week, uh, regarding uh, what's happening online and what these companies are doing. Uh, we had... We had an amazing discovery just within the, in the past week. So I, that's why I love doing research. Well, that calls for um, uh, yet a uh, session number two and episode number two with uh, you, Dr. Epstein. I want to thank you, uh, Robert, for spending time with me today. And thank you so much more for your past and continuing research that exposes how big tech affects our behavior, in particular, how it affects our elections and therefore, how it really affects our lives. If you want to learn more about the dangers of big tech, I suggest that you watch a documentary film entitled The Creepy Line. It features Dr. Epstein, and it explores the terrible influence that Google and Facebook have on public opinion and behavior. You can watch the trailer on YouTube, and if you like that, you can watch the entire film for free at creepyline.org, all one word, C-R-E-E-P-Y-L-I-N-E.org. And if you want to dig in deeper on the evil influences of Google, go to mygoogleresearch.com, all one word. And while you're there, I suggest that you make a tax-deductible donation to enable Dr. Epstein to continue his important work. I did. Thank you for watching, and if you enjoyed this episode of Life Lessons with Dr. Bob, please subscribe, and you'll be automatically notified of future podcasts in this series. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Life Lessons with Dr. Bob. If you enjoyed these interviews with some of today's most influential thought leaders, please follow and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget, you can also watch each episode on YouTube as well. We'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate reading your comments on YouTube and social media, and now you can submit your questions on my website as well. 
head over to lifelessonswithdrbob.com and click the question tab at the top of the page or the one on the right side of the screen and let us know what's on your mind. I'll answer your questions at the beginning of each episode, so let it rip. Let's have some fun.